0: Hey guys, I hope you're loving the Making Bank episodes. Please make sure you guys like and share these episodes as well as comment below for the guests. They love to come back and interact with you. And I really appreciate you watching and listening to Making Bank. So thank you. You are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Excited for today's guests, Joe Fear and Matt Wolf, Diana House, Todd Brown, Francis Wolf, Jeremy Parker, Chad Keller, Dave McKeown. Tell us a little bit about what's really worked well for you. Like, hey, you know, these are some of the things that helped us be super successful and we'll kind of start there mm. along your last 12 years.
1: I would say well, consistency helps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you can nail something, because if we go back in time, we bounced around a lot, and that's the whole experimenter in our blood. Gotcha. That does, still doesn't stop, and now we have the systems and other team members, Ops Manager, to crack the whip on us if we get too far <laughs> out, you know? So um, podcasting. Podcasting has podcasting. been – we started, what, in 2010? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we cool. had a couple of them together. You had one separately. A couple separately, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Then, it, the
2: reason those things have always kind of failed is lack of
1: consistency.
2: Mm. Yeah. So, I would say the yeah. podcast has been really huge for us. Uh, just in the... Uh, for like networking mostly right like when we we started doing the podcast we started podcasting just because we wanted to meet people and we're like how else can we (laughs) get people to come and talk to us (laughs) right like we're nobodies right now how do we get people to come talk (laughs) to us right so we started the podcast as an excuse to come and just like pick people's brains and learn and and our Mm -hmm. network just kind of went viral because of that we just got to know more and more people yeah so I'd say yeah. that's one big sort of catalyst for success. And the other was when we finally decided to hire people, like right. for the longest time, we just tried <laughs> we to everything it. ourselves, it you guys. everything ourselves. And now we actually have somebody who does the hiring for us. So we don't even do any hiring and our, you that's know, cool. we're just kind of getting like, we find out about team new team members that we didn't even know were on our team from like our ops manager now. I don't know if I'm proud
3: of that enough. <laughs> yeah. but it is it is. I try to is. know everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would say
2: those are two big things. Like I think we were really scared for a long time to hire people and bring <clears throat> in people into the team and right, like spend Caleb. extra money. Because our thinking was we bring people in, that means a smaller share to going into our pockets right <laughs> yeah. so we were so afraid to do that and it took us so long to do it and to put the big boy pants that's on that's right like, yeah. wow i'm supporting <laughs> other people's lives well that's their what families. It ends up being
1: yeah it totally yeah, is that for so sure. now like we pay them first before us right you know, we always have that mindset
0: that's no cool. what it looks like yeah. what is one thing you're like all right josh i know you should have just asked me this because we're <laughs> wanting to just like throw it out there and we want to give this information to people because they need to know it. Yeah. So what is that information? Oh, what is a, that
1: question? That's a tough question, right? When they're like, <laughs> <laughs> we asked to step in on audio yeah. on the podcast. No, I'm not I'm not bullshitting you. I don't know if that needs to get bleeped or not. You asked some great questions. Like you hit the traffic, the podcast. I mean we're we're big on content creation. I think the biggest things that's changed us in, our, in the last couple of years is sure. to really like hone in and be like, we got some good stuff in the terms of the content side of stuff. If we can leverage others, ask for help, see what yep. someone else is like, mm-hmm. so copywriting and sales, we could do it. It converts, but it, like we're like taking weeks to do it, and we're like, Fuck, okay, yeah. like we just it's want a to broadcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So now we're starting to partner, like publishing mm-hmm. deals, or or just you know, ec- you know, rep share or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and then that usually can help us in some of those deals with customer service and stuff that we don't want to do. We right. do have a an admin and a rep in our team. Okay. but Like we don't want to have to bloat unnecessarily in places <laughs> we don't need to. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. asking for help and leveraging. Mm, uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I think
2: the the biggest advice, the thing that I feel like I'm harping on the most every time I talk to people is the concept of segmentation. Like, Mm -hmm. if you're creating content, like try to understand who's watching what and then you can better put offers in front of people and it makes everything so much easier. And I feel like that's the thing that I I feel myself repeating to people over (laughs) and over again is like, use the content you're creating, look at the (laughs) topic of the content and then tailor future (laughs) messages based on what they have viewed in the past and everything becomes easy how can
1: we make that word sexier? It (laughs) doesn't really sound that sexy, but I really feel like this is, yeah, this is the name of a game. You know, we can lead and have this appeal that we're just a podcast. Right. But like, how do they make money? Like, it's all segmentation. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and I don't think yeah. people
1: get it until they see like. The well, big I'm not picture. segmenting, so it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you understand it? And that's the I, I do. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's so simple. It's simple. time to segment. <laughs> like once. Once. <laughs> <laughs> I know. it's <laughs> time. <once. I know, laughs> <once. laughs> <laughs> and like, then it's what? just basic maintenance, <laughs> right? Uh, which a team member can po- totally do, but for yeah. sure.
0: Kind of tell our audience that may not know who you are a little bit about your background, how you got started as an entrepreneur, because you're a lawyer by trade, and uh, we'll kind of get started from there.
4: So after <coughs> finishing law school I sold all my belongings and ran away to Bali <laughs> to do a yoga teacher training. I really knew I did not want to be a lawyer and although it was, you know, lucrative financially, it just wasn't aligned with you know, my values, and I wanted a lot more freedom. So thankfully in Bali, I came up with the idea for my first business, which was a yoga jewelry company called Tiny Devotions, which I just sold at the end of the summer.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And so, you, and that was all online e-commerce business you had?
4: Yes, we did have like, you know, a few hundred wholesale accounts as well. Okay. It was mostly like, you know, Shopify, e-commerce, and uh, you know, sold our products all over the world.
0: That's super cool. And um, what, I guess, what made you make that transition then like you're like i just love the jewelry it was a passion thing you're like i just want to start a business like what was that for you that made that turn
4: to starting the business yeah selling it um so i think For me, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, (laughs) so you'd think that it was like the natural thing to do that, but it was very much encouraged (laughs) in our family to go get a good corporate job. Okay. Um, And it was really the pain of not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, and then happening to find a blue ocean idea in a Mm. growth market. So 10 years ago, yoga was growing really aggressively, Lululemon, which is a um a yoga clothing company that a lot of people would be sure. familiar with was growing aggressively as well and this um, company was like the jewelry version of that so I okay. kind of you know had pattern recognition right. put those dots together and it was really out of a place of like desperation i had applied for <laughs> 150 jobs it was 2008 right after I that yeah couldn't get a job <clears throat> and i was like i have no other choice than to be an entrepreneur
0: <laughs> That's awesome so um what uh, So obviously, building the company, you got to experience a lot of fun challenges, um, things that you probably didn't know at the time. What were some of the hardest things that you learned you know, building the business, maybe your top three challenges?
4: Yeah, I think my top one, two, and three challenge was managing people. Okay. It was very, very challenging for me. I think, you know, maybe even if we're gonna bring Myers-Briggs <laughs> into this, like being an INTJ, we can be a sure. little bit, you know, intense. Like the INTJ is often known as like the mastermind, sometimes don't have the best people skills. Right. Um, and it was something, you, did you start uh,
0: I ran now? into. I still do.
4: Okay, you still do. <laughs> <laughs> So I was very, very intense. I had extremely high expectations <clears throat> and, you know, as most entrepreneurs do at the beginning, we think we're very important in the right. company and how could someone possibly do what we do? Of course they can and they can do it, you know, way better. It's, it's that that journey of like really putting your ego sure. aside. Um, but for me, I was so bad at managing people that I figured out really early on I needed to hire an operations manager Okay. pretty early and I hired the wrong person. Had to literally let go of everyone. My company's team like, imploded, oh, wow. <laughs> and what I did, which is very unconventional, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs should consider, I actually put my company on hold for a second. I, I brought in a an administrator to like run the company, and I actually got a job, <laughs> working in management at Lululemon with a boss to learn how to manage people. So oh wow!
0: I, like, okay, go
4: to my like nine to five ish. Um, and my company on the side was like making money, but I was learning those skills because I Mm. knew I needed to learn how to manage people to a point to be dangerous. And then when I got those skills, I hired the next operations manager and did a lot better (laughs) job onboarding them, giving them guardrails and boundaries.
0: That's cool. And so it's interesting because you mentioned that is, so you went, you took the job to actually learn the skills. Yes and get paid while you're doing it, not just like, hey, I'm going to go pay somebody to learn the skills, but you're actually getting trained on the job to learn that skills that you needed to know. What were some of the things that you really found from a uh, management standpoint, you know, people skills standpoint or communication Mm -hmm. that you really found that, hey, I'm glad I found out this. I'm glad I found out this that helped you, you know, as you grew the team from there.
4: So I think for me, like giving feedback wasn't a challenging thing. I was able to give feedback, but really figuring out how to give feedback in a productive way. So like people call it the super sandwich. Okay. So like, you know, being really positive and complimentary and then putting the constructive feedback in a sandwich of positivity, which is often what people need, right? as opposed to just like, Hey, you could have done that, that, and that, and that better, um, mm, which is I interesting. Think, you know, the okay. way I used to do it, to be maybe a little bit too direct. So yeah, learning how to super sandwich, um, setting really clear expectations at the beginning. Sure. Of like, you know, in order to be successful, like this is what it looks like. Um, And then I think the third thing was really just patience. Okay. As a owner, you need to be very patient (laughs) with your team. Right. And know that it's a journey and it's a process of you know releasing things to them. Okay. It's not just like overnight, and I mean I hear this all the time. And I was just at a workshop yesterday, Adrian's run like clockwork, which is about operations. And again, it's continual learning. Right. We're never done. So even though I haven't been in an operational role in my company for many years, I I still am trying to get more expertise around this. For sure. and, And send all my operations operators to trainings like okay. that so that they are, you know,
0: on, yeah, on the same page or growing on, too. You know, the yeah. same
4: page. So it's, yeah, definitely continual learning and, and, you know, being very aware of your blind spots. Okay.
0: Whether you have a supplement, I mean, you could have an online course. Um, you know, or a massage therapist. Massage th- you, you know, you yeah. could
5: be. Uh, you could be a chiropractor. You could have a software application. It doesn't matter. It comes down to this. It comes down to today. What prospects want to know? They not only want to know what your product or service does right. but they want to know how does it work tell me okay. ex- convince me right of of why and how your product is going to deliver mm. the result that you say it's going to because i hear everybody and their Talk brother the telling me that they're going to i'm going to lose weight if i take sure. my cholesterol's going to come down yep. and so they want they 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 say okay uh, sounds good tell me how it works right gotcha. tell me how it works and when you say commodity when you say magnesium, right. when you say uh, you know get the keywords from Google or whatever, right? All you do all you're doing is just opening up the opportunity sure. for them to go search el- elsewhere. But when you present what I call your unique mechanism, okay. right, which every every product or service can has have it. has sure. one, unless you're selling a gallon of gasoline and even then we can <laughs> we can you know it we out. can talk about it. you you have the ability to to educate them on that unique mechanism and Got then it. there is nowhere else to get it but you
0: so that is awesome and it really makes some really great sense so um when my wife had launched our natural products company we make we were the first ones to make a tooth powder that's all clays and everything else now there's like everybody's copied us to some level they have one of the ingredients and this so now i'm thinking in my head i'm like okay so we go back and we name kind of our formula well i mean it has its brand name for that product but the formulation is the synergistic of all three of these clays and these different ingredients it's not like oh, well, that's cool. Well, they just got like sea salt or this one just has one clay and some charcoal yep. and everything else. Yeah. And so that combination creates that proprietary formula, which then remineralizes the teeth, makes it healthier and does all that.
5: And it's a beautiful Bam. thing, like right? Oh, when yeah. You, because now, mm-hmm. right, you're marketing, right? See, this, and this is one of the things that I've been talking about a lot lately, and I think that it, I'm so passionate about it and I think it's so important for everybody here is this idea, right? There's this, There's a huge difference between marketing and selling. Sure. Right. And you know, for so long, we, you know, and we come from this world of direct response. I love direct response. It's right. always it'll always have a, a special place in my heart, man. Um, but we came from this this school of thought that direct response is really just salesmanship in print. Right. Okay. That was the sure. that salesmanship <clears throat> in print. When the guys used to, you know, Eugene Schwartz and even Gary Halbert used to, right? It was salesmanship in print. Today, I don't believe that anymore. Right? See, selling is when you're talking about the product. The right. F- the product's features, the advantages, what it does. the benefits. We're talking about the price, okay. the terms, the guarantee, the, the 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 when you're talking about your company and why it's superior, right? But marketing is when you're talking about the prospect and mm-hmm. their situation, okay and, and their needs and their wants and what's the best solution for them. Gotcha. And Peter Drucker, one of the greatest management right. gurus ever, said the job of marketing is to make selling superfluous to make selling mm, unnecessary right. right meaning that good marketing sets up the sale it in a better way to say it is good marketing makes the prospect want your product before you ever even present your product okay okay sure. right and so so when you know today, folks, when they're designing these marketing campaigns or right. what they call marketing campaigns, and they, they use the word marketing, you know, marketing funnel, sales funnel interchangeably, sure. but it's
0: it's different. It's not.
5: Yeah. And they they talk about you know the benefits, the benefits, and they're screaming benefits, and you know, and people, consumers know that that's what an advertiser, that's what a marketer, that's what an entrepreneur is going to do. They're right. going to talk about their benefits. They're going to talk <laughs> about what's great about it. They're going to talk about why you want it. But you get the beauty. Let's say with the with the with the teeth, you know, whitening uh, tooth powder. I mean, tooth yeah. powder. Mm-hmm. You know, to talk about here's why it works, and here's where the other the other products out there fall short, and here's what you want to look for in a product, and here's why, and here's what happens when these things are working in combination on your teeth and in your enamel, and then all of a sudden the prospect goes. Whoa, man! First of all, they're experts, right? Right? They're so knowledgeable. Sure. They educated me, building goodwill and 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 value. And hey, that makes a lot of sense. You know what I need to do? I need to get those those combination of clays and and that and then you say, but here you go. Uh, we've right. done the work for you because You don't have of to go that. do we, it. Yeah. Like, and then they're like, whoa, this is great. And so you know what I'm saying? It's such yeah, a beautiful for freaking sure. thing, man. When you see it that way, you don't. You're not. You're, you're you're setting up the sale right. so that the sale then becomes you just presenting a great offer.
6: Okay.
0: So what um, so you mentioned okay, so marketing's different and that's going to help you get more in the the mind of what your prospect or what your uh, you know person's looking for. Yeah. What are some of the things that you're seeing like okay, all right, here's what we're doing that's really working in that area
5: for getting in the mind of Yeah, the, I guess the making consumer. that
0: connection to
5: yeah, well, I I think look, and this really hasn't changed, so this is nothing new necessarily. But you have to be a student of your market. Okay. You know, before you are a student of even products or even your own products. Sure. You have to be a student of the market, and so you've got to pay attention to what is what is selling in the market. What you know, right. what is selling, what is selling and well, sure. and how it's being positioned and presented to okay. to the market. You know, you have to pay attention to what the market is saying on channels like Facebook groups and Facebook pages and, you know, in blog posts, uh, you know, under the comments, you certainly got to pay attention to like the, um, reviews and comments on Amazon. I love to look at the two star through four star. I, mm. I, I don't do the one okay. star cause they're usually nut jobs, you know, and, <laughs> right. and the five star usually <laughs> just fanboys and girls, you know, and so I get rid of those, but, to, and I'm looking for the words, the phrases, the feelings. I'm paying attention to what it is that they're they're saying and communicating. And sometimes you got to read between the lines right. to kind of, you know, to see. I'm also looking at what competitors are saying and how they're presenting their product, so I don't duplicate what they do. Mm. Meaning, I'm not looking to see like, what are they doing so I can copy. I'm looking for the exact opposite reason. I'm looking because I wanna have a new way to present, Like, like look, if they're presenting the X, Y, Z combination of clay, of, pa- you know, pa- sure. you don't want to come out with the same X, Y, Z combination of uh, clay. Combination. Right. Okay, you're, you're not doing any anything right. good for anything yourself different. or yeah. for the- And so I want to make sure that what we're going to present is going to be different from what's okay. already being presented. Um, and so that's it, and, and patience. And what I would say is, a great tip for everybody, and it takes work, but it's a great tip, is when you mention a benefit, when you mention a promise in your marketing, when you mention a claim about your product that you feel your audience would be interested in, make sure that that comes from your research. In other words, Mm -hmm. don't assume. Right. Like, where yeah. did you where did you identify that your market wants X? If you can't tell me, this gotcha. is like what I say to students and clients. You know, on our programs, like, show me where in the in the research process you uncovered that they want X. Right. Because if ah, oh, I know though, I think I know that no. So it's got to come from you. How to identify it somewhere? That's the way it should be. No, I,
0: mean, I, I think that's super awesome. So by taking a look at the different reviews, the different comments, yeah. now we're saying, okay, you know, somebody's. Their challenge—they leave the two-star reviews and they're saying, "Okay, well, this is just you know gritty yeah. or whatever." So okay, so we talk about how smooth and how um, uh, you know the that it makes you know how a smooth dentist feeling like when you first go to the dentist and yeah. get your teeth polished, yeah, yeah, you know, and giving that kind of you know focus.
5: Yeah, you you know, and you look for trends, you know, like so sometimes you might <laughs> one person might say something, you know, it you know it gave me nightmares or you know or whatever, <laughs> right. right, like.
3: We're gonna take that with a it's grain of salt. Yeah, it's yeah. a one-off. Right, exactly. You know, but if And see, not the hundred. If we, yeah, if we see trends
5: among what it is that they're saying, and you really do, you have to, you know, you have to read between the lines more often than not because, you know, we're complex creatures, man. You right. know, and like we've got, you know, we've got weird, oddball reasons, we all do, for why we do things sure. and say things and look for things and buy things and you know, and so yeah, you gotta you gotta really you got to you also have to have empathy. You've got to be right. able to see the world through their eyes and recognize that you're not dealing with a blank canvas, meaning that these mm-hmm. people have they they've likely bought products before, sure. they've been disappointed, they've heard promises, they right they're, they're they're jaded. Like we're not dealing with this blank canvas right. where it's we just fresh. get to start, yeah. you know. Ah, it doesn't work that way.
0: <laughs> what were some of the things that you kind of like w- along learned along that journey from doing that? Like what are some of the challenges you had to work through to and then i guess let's kind of start with there
6: yeah i mean i think one of the biggest challenges was how do you scale a business like that um because mm-hmm. you know when when we were taking offers from one market to another um translation's huge and right. at the time you know i had a i had a girlfriend who was actually french so she <laughs> she she translated you know the first ebooks that that we did but That's awesome. you know I, we we needed to be able to scale that. And so I you know, found other translators that could work with us. I found that like professional translators uh, that we worked with were actually super expensive and mm. not really cost effective to scaling, especially more of a bootstrap business. But I found that you could train people to translate as, if they were like native to that language. Um, and so what okay. we were able to do was was, you know, work with some other translators that maybe weren't professional translators, but they still did a pretty good job. And it was more cost effective for us as we were starting out because, you know, we were, you know, we basically translated a product and then started running ads on Facebook and we got it to work and we kept investing more money and grew from there. So, um, I think one thing, you know, what, especially as, you know, not having a ton of money starting out you know, or or capital, if you're not raising capital, then you need to learn how to bootstrap and how to scale efficiently. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I I think it's much harder to bootstrap and scale a a business than it is, you know, to start out with a pile of money, and, you (laughs) know, decide what to spend it on in order to grow, it's still a skill. But but I have a lot of respect for people who, you know, have, you know, have, have started with, you know, just you know the sweat equity and and grown to you know a much bigger successful company for sure no i know what you're seeing i mean we started i mean with our one company primal
0: life i mean just it was it's been bootstrapped started with a few hundred bucks and you know and and haven't taken any investment until just now we just did a crowdfunder crowdfunding campaign just to see how that would work out and everything and, and all that but i mean i don't know what nine years later (laughs) So it wasn't like right off the bat or anything. And, you know, it's, it's worked great, but it it helps you really figure out, you know, where to spend the money, where the priority is. Um, Obviously, you you can't grow too fast because then you run out of money. And so it's kind of all like as you're scaling and, and trying to balance all that. So and so that's a super cool bootstrapping idea that, as you mentioned, you started with your girlfriend, either get a lot of different girlfriends that know different languages or <laughs> train local people that help you kind of translate the uh, into the language that you're looking for and then running those ads and stuff on Facebook. What So once you guys kind of got a foothold with that what was some of those next steps that you took? Did you then start to move into other languages in other markets, or did you go find another product and do the exact same thing for the specific one that was winning right now?
6: Yeah, well, what what we found was, uh, you know, certain offers, you know, you, you could just translate a product and then, you know, scale it with ads or with affiliates, and you could, you know, grow the business, And then other products, you had to build out like a curricula of a product so that, you know, because maybe you weren't going to make money on the front end. Sure. Um, So we had, you know, we had like a a health and fitness offer where we just translated it and then we had a super affiliate ready. And Mm. then boom, like when we launched it, it was doing 500 sales a day. Um, So we, you know, I think it's, it's you know, we we went after a lot of different offers in in the market and kind of just, you know, worked with and put more effort into whatever was successful. And, you know, I I think once you have kind of a strategy, then it's just a matter of, you know, how the market responds and then kind of picking the winners and, and, you know, focusing on what's working because, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to uh, focus on what's not working and then make that your focus. Like, oh, if I could only get this unsuccessful offer to work, um, you know, I'd make a ton of money. But that's like a really quick way to, you know, lose your shirt. Um, You you always want to focus on like, you know, what's winning, what's doing well for you and the things that aren't, you know, you should just forget about them. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, no, for sure.
0: What were some of the initial things that you've Taken away from working with like MV Sports that you've been
7: able to apply to what you're doing today. Yeah. So when I was working with MV Sport, a lot of the sales process was very old and broken. It was like full-on catalogs. It was presentation day. Gold paper catalogs. Yeah, and, it was like 40 yeah. or so back and forth emails to close a sale. And I realized that people don't really want that, at least the today's buyer. They want to find what they're looking for online. They want to upload their design, mock it up, check out in a matter of seconds. They don't want to speak to people. People avoid lines at all costs. So we wanted to build a platform for the modern buyer. And when we realized that that there's really no go-to brand, go-to platform, well, we should build that right platform. And for the first year of the business, in 2016, we knew the overall concept, but we didn't know how to execute necessarily. Mm. We didn't know the exact right platform to build. Like we knew sort of ideas and features. So from the very start, we just said, let's just learn as much as possible about who today's buyer is. So we had hundreds if not thousands of conversations with office managers hr managers marketing teams sales teams all the different people who buy swag within the organization and we try to figure out well who's our first customer you can't be everything to everybody you can't build the the platform for every single different division you know office managers are buying for corporate culture hr managers are buying for onboarding of new hires sales are buying for swag for engaging with their leads and marketing teams are engaging with their best customers they all have different use cases for why they want to buy swag so let's figure out what should the platform look like? And what we ended up kind of settling on is we should be focused on the office manager from day one, which doesn't sound obvious. It wasn't obvious from the start. When we started, we thought we were going after marketing teams, because marketing right. teams, we envisioned have the biggest budget. Uh, you could really prove an ROI, return on the investment of what you're doing. Office manager didn't have that. But what we noticed when speaking to office managers is that they're kind of the glue that holds the corporate culture together. So when they buy a thousand sure. t-shirts, they're giving those 1,000 t shirts to their coworkers. Now, that's a kind of a Trojan horse as a way to get in the company and expand, right? If Facebook buys 1,000 t shirts. Now, the marketing team, the sales team, the London office, the New York office, whoever they all it, see it, they all know yeah. that swag.com handled it. And all of our t shirts are branded by swag.com on the inner label. So it's kind of saying, like, hey, look at our physical business card <laughs> yeah. and the social proof that your company's already using us. And we just learned as much as possible. And then we built the first version of the site. The second year. So the first year was all about learning. And then 2017 was all about actually distributing the platform and getting it out there.
0: No, that's super cool. And, and you know, like you said, you picked one area to focus to go in on, but then that allowed it to grow into other departments sure. and other areas and teams within the company. Instead of just like going after, cool, we're going to go after marketing. They might have the biggest budget, but it might've just stayed there because they're using it for outside influence or, and that sort of thing.
7: Exactly. Right.
0: So yeah, no, that's awesome. So obviously you said you connected with Mark Cuban and and got on the blog, he got on his blog, which helped blow up what you guys were doing back then. A lot of people, you know, think, Oh man, you know, how do, how do I connect with these people? I mean, I guess what made you reach out or what, um, you know, what were those steps that you took to be able to get Mark Cuban to respond to you?
7: Yeah, I think it's anything, whether it's Mark Cuban or Jesse Itzler or right. the CEO of MV Sport or any partner. Really, um, it seems simple, but it's really putting yourself out there. I feel like most people, um, myself included, when I was much younger, were a lot were you know fearful of rejection mm-hmm. or, yep. and that just gets in your way. There's no there's no business to be fearful of rejection. You know, there's a famous quote that says, "Fear killed more dreams than failure ever could." So when I, when I learned that I really you know, took that to heart and I made sure that now at this point, it doesn't matter. You're going to fail. Most times you fail. No one ever launches something or builds something. And it's just a success from day one. No, it's most likely not going to work, but if you have the mentality that you're ultimately going to make it work, you're going to learn from what you launch. You're going to see the reaction. You're going to listen to your customers. Yeah. And that's the same thing with making you know, getting a meeting with somebody, just put yourself out there, make a pitch that makes sense that, you know, appeals to that person's sensibilities. And then when you're in person, sell. I mean, as an entrepreneur, no one you know, being a salesman is not a sexy job. No one wants to talk about being a salesman. But when you're the founder, when you're starting a business, you're selling nonstop. You're you're selling to customers. You're selling to investors. You're selling to partners. You're selling to employees. You're getting employees on board. It's always sales. So you have to get very, very comfortable um, with that part of your your skill set.
0: What were some of your big takeaways, you know, from your initial business experience growing? Growing the first company that you had it and that you were able to utilize and now transfer like you know whether it was mindset, whether it was um, failures that you were able to learn from, and then you know not you know hit that now with your new business. Yeah, so like the
8: first company, like sometimes you got to do things you don't want to do because that that's how you're getting by, mm. but it teaches you what you love and what you don't like to do i sure. um, like, I hated manufacturing, I hated dealing with China, but I love the marketing aspect of things. Like if I could just sit there behind a computer and sell these products all day and do that, I would love it. But like I was running, like d- meeting with dealers in China and like, like structuring, like, uh, doing all those wire transfers, wait, waiting on goods, all of that. I didn't love that, but you really find like what you love through that process. And then you kind of like build your ideal business off of that, like service-based, like, okay, it taught me that, like, I love marketing. What's the next business from there? A service-based business, not a heavy startup cost inventory wise. I was able to take that But The main thing is shots, like just taking shots. I tell everyone that I'm just like, no matter what, they're going to fail and you're going to learn. Um, and you're going to keep failing. You're going to keep learning. Like even in our business now, like, like we hire people, very high level people that we take shots with and pay them very high hourly rates to just come in and consult. And some of them work out, some of them fail but I learn from it and we keep learning from it. So it's just continually taking those
0: shots. So kind of throughout your different ventures and what's kind of the biggest three things that you've learned that have improved your life, improved your business. Um, you're like, okay, Hey guys, you know, these things, three things have really helped me overall. Um, people can either apply or model after.
8: Um, so like at the end of the day, nothing beats like work, like just working, working your ass off, like nonstop to where like, like in the beginning you have to do it. Like we, you have to learn it from inside out. So we are, I'm a big believer in like hard work pays off. Um, but organization and structure, I was a, someone that was always like frivolous. I would like go to bed at like 3am and then like wake up at like 8am or like not have any set structure Cause I'd just be working and doing this, but, uh, sure. Now I have like a very strict schedule, especially cause I have kids now where it's just like, Hey, I go to bed at this time, I wake up, I, I, I journal to like, basically my journal is more so like structurally in my day. Like, yeah, I didn't even tell my fiance this morning, like how sh- stressed out I was about what was going on today. But then I came in my office and wrote down like everything that I had to do for the day. And just like the weight just lifted off my shoulder. So it's like, okay, it's not that much. I, I, can, I can do it. So I'm a big, big believer in that. And then I would say the other thing is just like you got to say no to a lot of things uh, along yeah. the way. Like uh, if you're, especially if you're an entrepreneur, like you're just like yeah, I, I, like I can do that, I can do that, I can do this. And I'm finally at the point to where like I can say like no, I have such a great growth sh- trajectory on this business that like I can't do that or I can't do that. Yeah, it might be a lot of money now, um, but I know if I keep building this this way, it's going to be a lot of money in two three years.
0: Mm, yeah. No, I, I think, you know, journaling is huge. Just being able to transfer that information, you know, to paper. So you're like, even if you never go back and look at it, you're like, okay, maybe it wasn't as important as I thought it was in my head. But yeah.
8: It's just, I use this thing called the Panda planner. Um, it's just awesome. It's just like, what are you grade for? What's your, what? So I'd ask you like what you're grade for. Cause it really like makes you think like, I don't sit back and think that like, I have an awesome life for, for where I live and my age and everything. Like, this is great. Like, but I don't think like that. I'm just always like, what's next? What's next is when you hang out with like the peer group of people. Oh, you see that? Like I'm a big believer of you are who you hang around with and they drive you. So like you, like me and my buddy were talking about this the other day. Like, why does like Elon Musk and these people like, why why aren't they just like sitting on a beach relaxing like at this point? But like when you're in that competition around that peer group, I see how it like keeps driving you. So, um, so, so that really like keeps you grounded and everything like a, a journal like that. And it's just writing things down is a, is a game changer.
0: Awesome. And how old are your kids? I
8: have a nine year old, a six year old and a, uh, she's one and a half. Oh, wow. So That's also, right. it's me. And it's me <laughs> yeah.
0: So what were some of kind of those initial things that you learn that from a leadership standpoint that you've been able to take and apply to help other companies now?
3: I think one of the biggest things that I learned the ability to sit in a group of people and in a room full of people and actually strip out a lot of the noise. Um, so there's, you get a group of people in a room together and they're talking about stuff and it might seem like it's a fairly straightforward conversation, but there's so much going on. There's everybody's egos into the mix and, and I don't even necessarily mean like big bravado ego, but like, what are my wants and needs? Uh, what I want to get out of this? What are my fears? Uh, what I hope is going to happen? What do I need to deliver for my team and just the ability to strip all of that uh, down to its to its basic point and say, well, like, what what is our goal and our intention today? What are we trying to achieve? How do we do that in a way that honors all of those wants, needs, and desires, and in a way that maintains... Our ability to have adult adult relationships with each other so that we don't have to like politic our way to to success but that we actually have the ability to have open honest um conversations and and he was a, a really good role model for how all of that played out and 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 certainly in those years where I worked with him um, he showed and taught me some of the best ways to do that which has stood me in good stead because now I spend a lot of time in in rooms with people trying to help them stay focused on what's truly important and and to blank out a lot of that noise that that kind of comes with that.
0: Sure. And did you kind of working with uh, all the, these different businesses from smaller to the higher level and everything? Is there a kind of a common one, two, three, four uh, things that would usually come up in those that everybody was kind of dealing with the same thing?
3: The biggest transition, typically the teams that I work with are struggling to go from a a culture of saying yes and then figuring out how to deliver it to a Mm. culture of ongoing, sustained and ultimately scalable success. Um, That that culture of saying yes and then figuring out how to deliver it is needed and almost the only way to get almost any business off the ground because you're just scrapping for whatever, you, whatever you're whatever you going to get. And sure. typically also, if you're a, a particularly visionary uh, uh, entrepreneur, you, you just see things and you're like, yeah, sure, we can deliver that. I don't really care about the specifics. We'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. We'll get there. And and, and for a lot of teams and organizations, that gets ingrained in the way that we do business. And even a, a, a really, really, you know, organizations that you would think of hit a revenue level where it, it, it shouldn't be, it's still the case. I work with a lot of, of companies that are touching a billion dollars for, for whom that's still the culture. And, and right. they've got 2,000 people running around just saying yes and figuring out how to deliver it. At some point, um, however, the complexity of your business starts to to become too much of a um, of a pressure on the seams, and things start to crack. Uh, and, and you start to find that saying yes and then figuring out how to deliver it is a is way more difficult. Whenever you've got two thousand people behind you, than whenever you've got twenty people behind you, because whenever there's a small organization, you can come in, you can say yes, you can all ra- rally together, you'll figure out how to to deliver it, you steal victory from the jaws of defeat, you put in all. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. You get to a point in your growth and you start, um, uh, promising your customers stuff and you just end up dropping the ball because you haven't, you you haven't realized the complexity that has crept in from taking that idea to fruition. So most of the the work that I do and the challenges that I see is helping leadership teams slow down that rush to say yes so that they have evaluated all of the variables in front of them. And so that when they say yes, they know that they can actually deliver it in an agile way rather than just throwing it over the transom, hoping somebody picks it up and then scrambling like crazy to get it out the door.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What are kind of some of those initial things that you do to kind of uh, that start to link that together? Because obviously, being the visionary, it's like, oh, that's is we're doing this. Let's get it out there. We want it out by the end of the year. And then your, you know, your production team and your marketing team are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here, you know. So I guess how do, how do we start to st- tie all that together synergistically?
3: I mean, the first thing that you've got to do is is show that it's an issue, um, you know, and, and it isn't an issue for for, for, for for many teams and organizations. And and trying to make that transition at the wrong time can be equally as as dangerous as, as getting stuck in that culture. Um, typically, what happens is when where you see that this is becoming a real uh, systemic problem is, either when quality uh, goes down in the product or service that you're delivering on an mm. ongoing systemic um, basis rather than just like, ah, we screwed that one thing up. You know, on an sure. ongoing basis, you're noticing that either product is going out the door and it's not quite right or you're just not delivering at the standard that you want. Um, or secondly, your profitability starts to take a hit because uh, in in at that point, over-promising, recognizing that you're on the verge of under-delivering, you end up eating the pr- eating into the profit to fix whatever sure. is there so those are usually the two uh, things that start to flag for uh, owners and their leadership teams now trying to stitch that up trying to stitch that to the culture of saying yes and and then and then figuring out how to deliver can be a little trickier. You've got to show, um, and you've, you've got to show the impact of those decisions to the to the leadership team. Play them out for them. Show them what you wanted to have happen and where things went along the way. And the big thing that that you've got to um, get them to the point of realization is is that it's not about uh, an individual person or a collection of people. Because usually what happens is if we start screwing up, or if product starts going out wrong, or we're, we're not delivering um, our services at the standard that we want, or profitability is taking a hit, we usually start looking at people and going, "Oh, well, it's their sure. fault. If they weren't in the position, then that wouldn't happen." Or maybe uh, the inverse: "Well, so and so was on was on vacation that week; they would have never let the product go out the door," you know, like that. And so you've got to show that it's not a it's not. Um, It's not personified, it's actually systemic in the organization. And once you do that, then you've got the foundation to begin to rebuild a new decision-making and decision-implementing process, because that's ultimately what fixes it.
0: I am Josh Felber, you are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.